Welcome to Middle School Walk and Talk, a podcast series offering heart, hope, and health to members of our middle school communities. Take a walk with co-hosts Phyllis Fagel and Joe Mazza as they discuss self-care, student well-being, school culture, and more. Middle School Walk and Talk is a production of the Association for Middle Level Education and is designed to support the concepts outlined in our foundational text, The Successful Middle School, This We Believe. Learn more at amle.org. Today's episode, You Wouldn't Teach Sharks in the Grasslands, with special guests Cornelius Minor and Cass Minor. So we're live at AMLE 2022, um, and we have two special guests here with us. I'll let them introduce themselves. Well, Joe, it's amazing to be here. My name is Cornelius Minor, and I am sitting alongside my partner, Cass. Um, we are New York City educators, and we're thrilled to be joining the two of you on this podcast today. Yeah, yeah. As you know, much of our work um, in the world focuses on how we build fully inclusive learning experiences for children. We think about middle school as such a special time, right? It's where people not only find themselves, but where they really walk into their passions. And we want to make sure that every part of a kid's humanity belongs, right? When we think of so many spaces in the world sometimes, they can be exclusive, where kids can be made to feel like, I don't belong here because I'm not from the right neighborhood, or I don't belong here because I didn't, you know, come with the right credential. And we think about middle school as a place where all of that doesn't exist, where middle school is a place where if you are human, if you draw breath, you belong here. Um, And unfortunately, we come from an educational history in this country that doesn't always enforce that. Right. When we think about these yet to be United States, school was built without women and girls in mind. School was built without indigenous people in mind. School was built without black and brown folks in mind. And so Cass and I, our work is all about how we go against that history to construct fully inclusive spaces. Yeah. Cass, I'll let you introduce yourself as well, and then we'll have some questions. Of course. Thanks so much for having us today. Um, You know, to build on what Cornelia said, well, first of all, I'm Cass. So uh, something really special about my career and how it helps me do the work that Cornelius is describing to really like push push against exclusivity and to think about what it means to build inclusive practices. Um, As I actually started in secondary school. So I started teaching 11th and 12th graders when I was 23 years old. And from there, I started teaching middle school. And then I ended my classroom life uh, in elementary school, actually. So I've seen like the whole gamut. And I think that when we think about middle level education, one of the most beautiful things about it is the creativity that we can put into our practice when we think about what it means to build spaces where kids are like excited to come to school, but also spaces where teachers are excited to come, come to school, right? And so I think one of the things that's been on my mind a lot as Cornelius and I are working and witnessing a lot of what's happening in schools is this idea of sustainability, right? So what does it mean to sustain learning in classroom spaces? What are all of the things that are entailed when we think about learning that actually sticks, right? Like there's a lot of curriculum out there. There's a lot of sort of like initiatives that are taking place, but I'm really interested in the sustainability both teachers and students have in classroom spaces where they are really excited about what's happening there. So what does it mean for us to carve out that space where people feel good, positive, and present in the middle school classroom? So there were two ideas that you shared this morning in your keynote that really resonated for me. The One of them was this idea of the difference between restorative rest and sort of that superficial rest you were talking about. And the other pertained to this idea that we can't expect 
lions to thrive if we're teaching them in the ocean and we yeah. can't expect sharks to thrive and learn if we're teaching them in the grasslands. If you were to operationalize it, and maybe you can take on the sharks and the lions and you can take on the rest piece, but if you were to operationalize it for the listeners, yeah. what would you recommend that they do? How do we put it into action so that we are not trying to teach sharks in the grasslands? Absolutely. I think about the idea of success. And often when we think about the idea of success, we have a very static Western-based, like, you know, white European man-based, like, idea of success, right? And so even if you ask about success in a middle school classroom, um, people will say, well, if a kid can write an essay, right? And one of the things that I think about is that the kid who writes an essay to express their ideas is no better or no worse than the kid who expresses their idea by building a model, right? Or the kid who builds a model is no better or worse than the kid who expresses their idea by building a flowchart, right? But so many times we construct classrooms where you can only be successful if you write the essay. And so the kid with the engineering mind who makes the flowchart is now labeled as dumb or is now labeled as you don't belong here or is now labeled as non-compliant. Right. And we use these terms and they are harsh terms and we apply them to kids and kids carry that. Right. And so if we build a classroom where you can only thrive if you're an essayist, we leave out all of the kids who build flowcharts and diagrams. Right. And so those kids are the sharks in the grasslands. Right. And, and, and it happens with such alarming and damaging frequency in American classrooms. And so I'm always thinking about how we build classrooms where there is pluralism of genius, where there is pluralism of expression, right? You know, Cass and I operate from a universal design framework. So we think about multiple means of expression, right? Multiple means of engagement, you know, like really thinking about all of the different ways that kids can show up and then honoring those ways. Because often middle school, unfortunately, is you can show up in all these different ways, but then we're going to sand you down into who we want you to be. Yeah. So. I love that. And I read re some research recently that is along those lines. And it was talking about how neurodivergence is actually on a societal level so adaptive. It helps us survive. We don't want everyone having the exact same skills. It's just that it's not necessarily adaptive in the setting in which we try to pigeonhole everybody. Yeah. So that resonates for me. And I love the practical suggestions. You're not going to have somebody who has fine motor skill issues trying to hang things from a diorama. And you're not going to have someone who can't read, write an essay. Yeah. You're going to meet them where they are. I also really believe that if we don't set them up for success, yeah. we're not going to engender more success. Absolutely. But that's tiring work, which leads me to the <laughs> follow-up question uh, about how do we sustain ourselves as educators? How do we make sure we can meet kids' needs when we're trying to do a, a lot with not a lot of resources, including time? Yeah, absolutely. So rest is something that, you know, Cornelius and I are thinking about always with teachers. And it's interesting, right? Because I would argue that Cornelius and I are not great at finding restorative rest ourselves. So we're in this constant space of sort of like figuring it out alongside the people that we work with. But I will say, I think that there's two big ideas that stand out to me. And the first of which is really thinking about rest that doesn't necessarily mean sleep, right? Like I think sometimes when people hear the word rest, they're like, oh, they want us to get more sleep or they want us to take a nap. And that's not really what we're talking about, right? Like rest can mean a lot of different things. And I think part of our rest comes from finding a little bit more joy in the spaces in which we work. And so when I think about rest, I'm thinking about 
how am I spending time with the people I work with during the school day and talking to them about something that I'm like genuinely interested in trying with kids or even just like reading something for fun. Like that's like a form of rest, right? And I also think about this idea of like nourishment, right? Like we all know that we are not always going to feel our best selves if our needs aren't being met. So really being able to name what it is your needs are to feel like present, and positive and powerful in a learning space is important. And I don't know that, I think so many of us have been working so hard across this past two and a half years that even being able to name what those needs are can feel like challenging, right? And then the last thing I'll say along this idea of, of rest and, and nourishment and, and thinking about what Cornelius sort of like made this analogy of like, you know, who would win? the lion or the shark, depending on what the, the conditions are, you know, there's another idea um, by Adrian Marie Brown. And she has this idea about like dandelions, right? Like dandelions and mushrooms are amongst the most powerful organisms on this planet, right? And the reason why they are so powerful is because they propagate so easily and they hang around for a really, really long time. And so rather than like developing this really like powerful sense of strength and the sense of like, oh, I can like be competitive and beat everybody. It's more about like, how am I replicating ways of moving that are benefiting kids and teachers that don't take a lot of like time and resources? So that's what I think about when I think about strength and the rest comes from really carving out spaces intentionally across the school day to, to feed yourself, to find nourishment. So... I work in Chappaqua, New York, and, and we had the pleasure and privilege of having you in our school district last year. Um, you know, you spent time with uh, planning with the Black Student Union, um, lots of teachers, um, you know, and administrators across the school district. And, you know, following up with those students in the weeks and months later, they're still you know, struck by your compassion, just love for kids in general, mm -hmm. which is like a zing factor. Not mm -hmm. everyone comes with that, but mm -hmm. you can talk about all these great analogies and what makes sense. But if you're missing the love for kids in your message, it, it's not going to go well, right? Um, so, you know, one, one of the questions I have for you is, you know, hey, I consider myself a developing ally. What, what do teachers need to do to model that in mm -hmm. front of their kids? And, you know, you've empowered kids to be themselves, no matter who they are, to bring themselves. I feel like the same message is, is valid for teachers. Mm -hmm. We want them to be whoever they are. Sometimes our system and our policies shape that, you know, and they don't have a lot of control of that. But as a building level administrator, as a building principal, trying to help my building be who they are and be unique to them and not a carbon copy of something else. You know, what is your advice to, to middle school educators navigating this? You know, and, and I'll tell, I'll give you the long answer. I'll tell a story actually, because Cass is sitting right here. Um, you know, Cass and I are parents to two children ourselves. And um, I had an interesting conversation with my father before Cass was pregnant the first time, before our first kid. And my dad just kind of did the thing that a lot of dads do. He's like, hey, you're about to have a kid. Let me tell you some things, right? And, um, and, and one of the things that he told me was that in this life, we are not who we profess to be. Rather, we are where we spend our time. 
And he said to me as almost a message of warning, he's like, you know, Cornelius, when I see you and I see you in the world and I see where you spend all your time, you're always out with your friends. You're always skateboarding. You're always like watching movies. And so when I look at your life, your life says skateboarder. Your life says movie fan. I'm not sure your life says parent. I'm not sure your life says family. And so I'm a little ill at ease right now because when I look at where you spend your time, I'm not quite sure you're ready to be a dad, right? Um, and he's just like, I want you in these next few weeks and months to really reimagine how you spend your time because that would be more convincing to me. Um, and so again, I went through this process where I'm like, oh, here's what it means to, to be ready for family. I'm spending more time at home, more time, you know, and, and I think about that specifically in the case of our work together. You know, I think about when I wanna show up in any school or any school district, and I want kids to understand that I am on their side, it's not what I profess, it's where I invest my time. And so when I got to Chappaqua, I spent hours just listening to the kids. We were in the middle of a pandemic, I met them all on Zoom, and they would just get on the Zoom and tell me stories about how their day was, or about like how they miss homecoming, or about how they wish that we had more events, you know, and like, and it was just hours listening. And I remember after one particularly long session, this one young woman was like, yo, Corn's really on our side. Like she just said it. And she was just like, because he spent all this time really listening and thinking about us. And so when it was finally time to do that event, my plans for the event, and, and, and I ended up not speaking at that event. I facilitated all the kids speaking. And so the event was 90% student voice. I was the guest speaker and I think I spoke for three minutes, but like all of the kids, because I knew them so well, I was like, this event will go really well if you contribute in this way and if you contribute in this way. So I was able to really like invite them to show up in ways that felt authentic to them because I had spent so much time. Um, and so I think about what it means to show up for kids is to spend the time that we already have centering them. That we've already got six hours a day and so much of it, we spend worrying about how we're gonna center our own agendas. And so I spend a lot of my time really learning from kids and thinking about how do I best spotlight or highlight who they are and what they need in this ecosystem. And in the end, you practice what you preach, right? You step back and allow them to lead. Yeah. And, you know, I want my teachers to do the same. I want to walk into a classroom like I walk into SLA with layman and yeah. like you can't find the teacher. Yeah. You know, and, and that's that's the agency that we're yeah. looking to build. You know, exactly. Down. Exactly. And a lot of what I've learned, again, I've learned in community, like layman has done, you know, Matt Kay is one of my master teachers, you know, and so to see Matt like orchestrate an experience um, and understand that that experience is about all the kids and not about Matt. To see Chris, like, establish leadership, you know, like, all of that is, you know, that we can learn from each other. I learned so much from Cass, you know, like, watching Cass parent, watching Cass move through the community. You know, we work with groups of assistant principals, and, and, and to see Cass, like, catalyze leadership and then step back and allow it to flourish is really exciting for me. Yeah. Yeah. So before we wrap up... Thank you so much for sharing all of your wisdom. Can you share where people can find you and your work online? Oh, sure. So Cornelius and I have a website, cassandcorn.com. 
um, where all of our work is pretty much housed and harbored with all of the different ways to connect us via social media. Um, on a really exciting note, I have a new book coming out in May 2023. Very excited about it um, called Teaching Fiercely, Spreading Joy and Justice in Our Schools. So you can pre-order it on Amazon. Um, but I think the best way to connect with us is probably via social media. So our Twitter handles are widely available. Um, and we are very much of the mindset that we are working alongside community rather than in any other space. Um, so we definitely welcome, you know, teacher connections of all kinds, um, you know, to flood our inbox. We, we want to hear from you. We want to connect with you. So thank you so much. Two of the most authentic people that uh, we've met here at the conference. So thank you both for uh, joining us and look forward to continuing to follow and support uh, your work and, and make it our own in our schools.